I'm not. So if you would turn your Bibles to two scriptures that I have to start with. Isaiah 6 and 3 and Revelations 4 and 8. Isaiah 6, 3 and Revelations 4. Isaiah 6, 3. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Revelations 4 and 8 says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy. Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Today I want to talk to you about God's greatest attribute. God's greatest attribute. Almighty God, we have stood in your presence. We have raised our hands and we have sung songs of worship to you, Lord Jesus. And again, Lord God, we just present ourselves in your presence again to hear your word, almighty God. I just pray that the words I speak today will touch the hearts and the minds and the lives of these individuals. Oh, Lord God, Lord, they love you, Lord Jesus, and I know you love them, Lord. Speak to them in Jesus' name. We are um, of the habit of saying God is love. The first chapter, or the, actually the fourth chapter of 1 John tells us several times that God is love. And everything he does for us um, is an expression of his love towards us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we can identify his love for us in those words. God is patient and he is kind towards us. He's not proud or boastful. He's not easily provoked. God doesn't think evil. He doesn't enjoy sin. God is truth and he never fails. We are right in saying that God is love. And we often um, acknowledge that God is faithful and just and that he's merciful. And we relate to him in what he has done for us. So um, we call him our healer, if he's healed us. He's our redeemer, our father in the relationship that we have with him. All these things God is. But one of the greatest attributes of God that he is, how God describes himself to us, is that he is holy. God describes himself as holy. And 1 Peter 1 and 16 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. You know, when, I, when, when we say I am something, you know, I say I am a mum, I am a nurse, um, I'm a Sunday school teacher, we're identifying ourselves with that expression or statement. We are trying to reveal a part of ourselves to others. Who we are. I am Patricia. 
what we are. I am a female. Just an example. How we feel. I am sad. I am happy. It's all relating to what we want when we say it, what we want people to know about us. So we're trying to reveal a part of ourselves as a person in whatever way we can to others. I am revealing a part of my identity to you in the hope that maybe you might be interested to know me a little bit better. Okay? So when God said to Moses, I am that I am, he's saying he is, he is, what he is, who he is. He's the essence of God. It's a very powerful statement. I am that I am. That is, what I am is who I am. And these words are very, very strong. It's an absolute, expression of absolute. He is an eternal being, unchanging. He is the self-existing one. And we sang that song this morning. Only one God. It is a very deep statement. It's not a casual thing. I am holy. I am. There is a depth to it. He is and there is no one beside him. But it's also a challenge to us. Do you want to know who I am? What God says about himself is very important. And he is saying, I am holy. Furthermore, to add to that, God calls us to be holy because he is holy. And a holy God will not settle for anything else. So if God called us to be holy because he is holy, then what do we do about it? It seems easy enough to say it. But what does it mean? What does it entail? What are the depths of when I say, you have to be holy because I am holy? It's not, holiness is not something that is understood to the depth. It's just something that's often overlooked. Guidelines put in that this is what it means and you think that if you meet that criteria, that's what it is. But it's not like that. To be holy or to live in holiness has a depth. And I just want to tell you, Webster Dictionary defines a definition of holiness. It has two parts, as I was reading it. First it says whole, entire or perfect in moral sense. Doesn't sound like me. Pure in heart, temper, oof, that's a good one, or disposition. Free from sin and sinful affections. Now I don't know about you but when I look in the mirror and I I try and reflect my life to a definition like that I don't know if you have a secret about it please tell me but it's not something that you just skim over it's something you work at furthermore the definition goes on in relation to humanity it says it's a sacredness you're consecrated to God or to his worship, or his service. That is, um, that which is separated to the service of God. 
So it can be um, a person. You can separate yourself for the service of God. It can be a gift that you set aside for the service of God or an ability that you have um, that you put for the service of God. Often um, in the Old Testament, items were consecrated to God. So people would, would bring an offering or a gift and it was consecrated to God in that um, it was used for the temple. So it was considered holy. As soon as you took whatever it was and you offered to God, it was considered consecrated to God, therefore it was holy. So holy, when applied to God, signifies perfection and purity, complete moral character. A person is more or less holy as their heart is more or less sanctified or purified towards God's things. We become holy when, when, our, we, when our hearts are conformed to some degree to the image of God, to be like Christ. Now, Romans 12.1 reads, which is a familiar portion of scripture that we often hear in church, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, and we know, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, Paul in the book of Romans says, I beseech you therefore. So when we use the word therefore, we're basically saying, because of everything I have previously said. Okay? So Paul made some st- a strong statement. He made several strong statements in the previous chapter. Okay? Um, so because of what he had said, he is beseeching. Okay? In other words... I'm insisting, I'm demanding, but there is a a sincere urgency about it. It's like a passion. It's it's a very emotional, I'm beseeching, I'm almost begging you because of all those things that I've just spoken about, okay? And if you read the the previous chapters, Paul, um, he's talking about the evilness of the human nature, He's talking about God's judgment and how we cannot be righteous without God's righteousness. And we need to change the inner person and the nature that we have. It talks about baptism and and Jesus' burial and the purpose of all that, the purpose of the law, you know, no longer needing to be in bondage. It's all there. And because of all that, because of all that, Paul challenges us, dedicate yourself without reserve unto God. That's what Romans 12.1 is saying. Because of all that junk that your human nature wants to hold on to, because you want to have my way, okay, be holy. Be holy. Dedicate yourself without reserve unto God because God's mercy is great. Paul is imploring us to serve God completely without hesitation, be fully devoted to God and his service. Now, 
not present something. It's an action of bringing something. I am presenting a message from the Word of God. I physically stand here and I do that. I'm speaking to you here. Now, if I present somebody to you and I introduce them, I'm introducing that person. So I am presenting that person to you. If I present you with a trophy, I give it to you. So we present God our bodies. And it's not just, okay, we see the flesh, obviously. But Paul didn't say present your flesh. He didn't. He said present your bodies. So that incorporates everything, okay? It includes your spirit, your soul, your physical components, your your emotions, everything that you are. You present it to God. Now, living sacrifice, obviously we understand that the scriptures, um, we know that what we offer God, um, it's not a blood sacrifice anymore because of Jesus' death on the cross. Um, We understand that there is no need to kill animals and and, um, offer the, the blood to God. We are offering ourselves, okay? And when we do that, like in the Old Testament there were, there were offerings for atonement, but there was also free will offerings. We gave, they gave things willingly as well. Like there was no ties attached to giving certain things to God. Um, so, the, so the person who offered um, a sacrifice in the Old Testament presented it entirely. They didn't come with a leg or a backbone. They, in, they brought the sacrifice totally to God. Okay. And when I present it to God, I give it to him. And I don't take it back. Okay? If I've given God my life, I have no claim on it. Okay? How insulting would it be if I gave you a trophy... And then as you go to take it, I just, okay. It's not yours. It is, I give it to you, it's yours. I, I have, I should have no control over that. Whether it's a present or an offering, a sacrifice, you're not meant to take it back. You don't loan yourself to God and, and then remove yourself whenever you feel like it. Furthermore, when they gave offerings in the Old Testament, they gave the best of what they had. There was no seconds for God. We consecrate the best to God, the best that we have, the best of our time, the best of our effort, the best we have, the best that we can do. I know that certain people can do things better than me. I know that. But it doesn't matter. God wants what I can do. The best that I can do. And he doesn't want me to take it back. Our highest aim in serving God is to please him. 
the best we can. And that's why Cain's sacrifice wasn't acceptable to God. He didn't present his best. His aim, his heart, in all honesty, was not to please God. He was just going through the motions. This is what my parents said that we should do. And he didn't present his best. Romans 12 once um, says that we learn from it that to be a true, acceptable, living sacrifice, we need to offer ourselves voluntarily and entirely to the service of God because of our nature, we have to give it all. All that we have, all that we are, we place in God's hands and we are to leave it there. God will not accept anything less. To be holy from a human perspective, we need to consecrate, set apart our lives to the service of God and in worship to him. Our true identity should be that we are holy and acceptable to God. I need to be able to say, I am a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holiness should be my identification tag. And God demands it from us. 1 Peter 1.15 But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Holiness is conforming to the will of God and obedience to his command. Holiness is walking according to the word of God and doing what is right in God's sight. Not my sight, God's sight. Holiness becomes evident when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. When we draw near to God, we become more and more like Christ's character rather than our own sinful, prone nature that we want our will. Since God is holy and we profess to be his followers, we ought to be holy as well in all manner of conversation. And that means more and more and more like Christ. When we talk about being like Christ, we have many examples in um, the gospel of how Jesus behaved and he, his actions. But one portion of scripture which I'm going to talk about um, in particular is Matthew 5, um, Matthew 5, 2 to 13. And Jesus, we refer to these as the Beatitudes, which is basically a summary of how our outlook on life should be. And we've been taught that the Beatitudes means be of that attitude. And it reads, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they 
which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So basically Jesus is pronouncing a blessing on something that isn't necessarily positive to our human nature. I mean, who wants to be poor in spirit? Who wants to mourn? And, and this one, why do I have to be meek? Why, why can't I have my way? I mean, we've got a hunger and thirst after righteousness. You mean I have to be desperate? I have to be desperate for righteousness? I've got to put some effort into it? Shouldn't it be easy? And I've got to be merciful. <laughs> That's hard. And make peace? Well, you don't know what the people have done. You want me to make peace with people? You know, you don't even know the full story. I mean, it's me we're talking about. I have to be merciful. <laughs> but all these attitudes that Jesus is talking about, they go against what's my nature to get angry and have my way and this is done my way. And this one, verse 11, really gets me. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Blessed and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Rejoice. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I'm sorry, that's not easy to rejoice when everything's going wrong. It's not an easy attitude to adopt. It goes against our nature. But what do we want? Do we want to be like Christ? Would we want to, to reflect him? Are we aiming to be holy like he's asked us to? So in order to be holy, we want to be more like Christ. And to be more like Christ, we've got to adapt these attitudes and behaviours in order to display his holiness in us. We become holy when our heart is conformed to some degree to the image of God and our lives are regulated by God's divine precepts, God's way of doing things. Verse 13 reads, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost his savour, wherein shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden underfoot. We are the salt of the earth. But if we have lost Christ's attitude, because it's just talked about them, if we have lost that which is good in us, we have lost what makes us holy. If the holiness, if the, if the salt that makes us different, if the holiness that which makes us different is gone, if it's not there, we're not of use to anybody. We're not of any use to God in his, or his service. And we can't make a difference to the world. We are the salt of the earth, which means we are here on earth for a reason, to be holy. Ephesians, if you want to turn Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 
Ephesians chapter 1 and reading from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. We are here on earth for a reason. It's God's choice to bless us. And it was his choice to call us to be holy. It was God's choice to adopt us and make us his own. And it is good and it is pleasurable unto him to be holy. It is his choice and his will to have us close to him in holiness. Hebrews 12 and 12 says, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. And this is very important. Lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. We are to follow peace with all men and holiness. We need to guard our hearts aggressively from any attitudes of bitterness because bitterness destroys holiness. Because we want to see God. We want to see the Lord. I've spoken about a young king before um, to you about King Asher um, in a previous message. And what I'm about to say wasn't part of, it was mentioned in the message, it wasn't the highlight of that particular message, but it's been, it's since I've preached that message that two and a half, maybe three years ago. So it was some time. It's always been in the back of my mind. And I will share it with you. But King Asher made a, a stand. His father and his grandfather were not good kings. Um, and the Bible says that King Asher was not like them and that he did that which was good and right in the eyes of God. And Asher made the Lord his God so God became personal to King Asher and he was very passionate about his commitment in seeking the Lord. And the Bible tells us that King Asher dedicated certain items for the use of the Lord for the, t for the temple when he came into power and they were items of gold and silver. And as I said before, when we separate something or consecrate it to the use of God, um, they are considered holy to God. So because King Asher set aside these items for the use of the temple, they were holy. 
Unfortunately, towards the end of King Ash's life, um, we see a change and um, he, he started off well. He had a great zeal for God. He did, did things um, that brought revival to um, the southern part of Israel. So I, I don't know what happened in his later years. Maybe he forgot the goodness of God. Maybe he became um, comfortable um, being king and having everything his way. I don't know. Um, but the Bible tells us when Basha, the king of Israel, came to fight against him that King Asher paid the king of Syria to fight against Israel. Now, that's probably a very strategic political move. If Israel's fighting against Syria, then he's got peace um, in his part of of Judah. So it, it prevented Judah from going to war. However, in order to keep the peace, he made a contract with the enemy and we know that's not good. But the thing that's been constantly on my mind is that, and it's the most disturbing part of it, is the fact that he used the gold and silver out of the treasures of the house of the Lord to pay the enemy. He paid the enemy to fight his battle with the same treasures he had previously given and dedicated to God. Those things which were made holy, he took them back to pay an enemy to fight his battle. And remember, a true, holy, acceptable sacrifice is not taken back. When we offer something to God, we're not meant to take it back. And it's been like just in the back of my mind, and I'm trying, what things in my life have I said to God he could have and then I've still held on to them? What things? The Lord dealt with me for some certain things in my life about that. Certain things that I've said that I would do and only half done and changed my mind and taken back. Something that I said I would use for God ended up using it for something else. What you have offered in service to God, what you have said to him, your life, is holy and you cannot take it back. What you have dedicated and consecrated to God in worship, and we have all said it, we have all said it. Your life is a dedication to God. It brings him pleasure. You've set yourself aside for his service. I'm going to be very strong in what I'm about to say. Under no circumstance, I don't care if it's making peace within your family, you don't take it back. You don't use the talents and the gifts and the abilities God gave you in the first place for the enemy. You do not compromise what God has given you and you give it back in service to him. You have no claim on it. 
You have no claim to take it back. You gave it to God. You consecrated to God. It is holy. And you are not to use it for the enemy. Don't take back what you've consecrated to God. Just stand for a moment. You do not take what you have given God the use of the enemy you don't take it back it doesn't belong to you anymore God called you to be holy he called you to sanctify himself, yourself because he is holy he wants you to be holy I want to be holy you need to say you want to be holy I I don't get chances to speak over the pulpit very often. And usually what I say is what the Lord has been dealing with me about certain things. And recently I read a bit of Esther in the Bible and it was just an overpassing reading. You know, you just read the story just because you know the story, you think you know it. And I read about Queen Esther in the Bible and she needed to speak to the king, her husband. She needed to speak with him. And before she went to speak with him, she prepared herself. She prepared herself not knowing if he would hear her request. She prepared herself not knowing that he would even accept what she had to say if her life was spared enough for her to speak. Now, we know the outcome of Esther's story was quite positive, but it was a bit tough to start with. And one thing I, I, overlook, I overlooked was the fact that Esther hadn't seen her husband, hadn't heard from him, hadn't been called for him to him for 30 days. She had no contact with him for 30 days. And I mean, we look at 30 days, think, oh, it's just a month, big deal. Okay. But this is her husband we're talking about. Esther's sole purpose when she was taken to enter into the palace to possibly the chance to be the queen. It was just a chance thing. You know, everyone else, it was God's will, obviously, we know that. But she didn't know at the time what was going to happen. So for 30 days, she had no knowledge if maybe I made him upset and doesn't want to see me. I'm not saying he wasn't a busy man or anything. My husband and I were three days, he hasn't seen me and the first day he's telling me he misses me. Okay? There is a connection with a husband and wife. It means something. They're in the same place. Can you imagine if my husband didn't speak to me for one day and I didn't see him for one day and I know he's in the house and he's locked up in a room? It's a big deal. I don't know where you're at. I don't. 
the 30 days to a wife without a husband. Well, you know he's there. You've got a husband, but no contact with a husband and not knowing or speaking maybe you did something wrong is not a, not a comfortable thing. So a lot of this is going through her mind when she presents herself to the king. Just every eye closed, please. I want to be holy because he is holy. And he wants you to be holy because he's holy. And it may feel like it's been 30 days. It may even feel like more than that. You are the bride of Christ. He is your husband, he is your king. And if you have a petition that you need to address with your king, you need to prepare your heart. The way Esther prepared herself to see her husband, not knowing if he would accept her, not knowing if she'd done something wrong because he hadn't called for he called, he, he She had to wait for him to call her. And maybe you've been waiting for God to call you, I don't know. And it may be a long time since you've heard him call your name to enter into his presence. But he wants you to come to him today. Prepare your heart in holiness and he will accept you and you will be able to bring your petition to God. He's a merciful God. He said, be holy because I'm holy. And he wants you to be holy. Lord Jesus, you're worthy, almighty God, and we love you this morning.